All right, guys. Welcome to the Mind vs. Muscle podcast. Today, we're actually interviewing a good friend of ours, Matei, host of ours. So he's the co-founder of the Vigor Ground Fitness brand, especially the one over in Sylvania. Former professional soccer player. He's a strength and conditioning coach. Huge uh, entrepreneur, polyglot, avid reader, traveler, coffee snob, and full-time hedonist. So um, as you can tell, this guy is like one of the most interesting people. I feel like he's the... Ever. the European world's most interesting man, so I'm really excited to interview him today and uh, just kind of bullshit with him. <laughs> Matei, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, guys, and uh, just feel a bit of pressure coming on right now considering that intro, but uh, yeah, it's, been, <laughs> it's really nice to be on the podcast. Um, I've got to be uh, honest and sincere. I don't do many of these. Um, I mean, um, probably for good reason, but um, <laughs> I guess, no, seriously, I, I guess I... Uh, I really appreciate what you guys are doing and you know obviously you guys have been working with Luca for so long and um, I know you're doing really great work so uh, I'm happy to be here and, and share whatever I can with you um, but uh, yeah I, I really pick and choose the, the stuff that I do and uh, the time that I devote to anything you know it's kind of valuable so uh, yeah. Man we appreciate you thank you for being on. Awesome. Let's go to the beginning, man. Like, give us a like. We we obviously know Luca's story, but like the back of our hands because we've been with him for years now. But I want to hear your side of the story because a lot of people don't realize that like you you guys are similar in many ways, but you're at the same time kind of polar opposites in a way. So I'd love to hear like what was it like growing up with Luca and what I mean. You lived in multiple. I believe you lived in London as well as Sylvania. So kind of give us the whole rundown real quick of of your childhood, teenage years, and into the adulthood. Yeah, I won't bore you too much, but um, like, you know, uh, we grew up in Ljubljana, Slovenia. Um, contrary to what Luke will have you believe, we didn't grow up in a ghetto, so uh, we had a really nice <laughs> nice childhood growing up. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, there was loads of sports involved. We were all, always really athletic, so there's, um, uh, you know, there's three of us, also my older brother, uh, who now lives in Germany, but um, he was a rugby player, so... Um, it was cool, and then when I was twelve years, uh, sorry, eight years old, we moved to London for four years because my dad got a got a job as a managing director of a Slovenian company that opened a, a branch out there, and uh, we had the opportunity to move abroad. And I think that's where it all started for me in terms of like appreciating uh, diversity and other cultures. Um, I mean, my best friends growing up in London were Iranian, Indian, Pakistani. Um, Iraqi, you know, so uh, I guess some Very diverse. Yeah, some would consider that the axis of evil these days. But uh, you, you know, it was just like um, a great exposure to to people of different faiths, different cultures, um, and I think that kind of made me at least uh, shape my mindset, the way I think about things. Um, try to be very open, liberal. Um, For sure. How long did and, you live uh, in London? So we stayed there for four years, and then uh, so until I was twelve, and then we moved back to Slovenia. Because how did, uh, how did is, is that where you is English? that where you learned English? Because why do, why do you have a? I, I always wonder this. Like you have this British accent. Luca sounds like he's from the Bronx. And, yeah, <laughs> you know, like it's it's crazy. Yeah. So um, I mean, you know, when you're when you're eight years old, you're very. You're like um, a sponge, right? So basically, yeah, whatever you so. hear, you're just going to repeat. So uh, we were really quick to learn English. Um, after a year, uh, us three brothers, we all spoke English between ourselves. So 
and obviously, you know, you pick up the accent, uh, you go with it. And to be honest, Lucas spoke with the same kind of accent until he was about, I don't know, 15, first exposure to the States. He, he started going to the States for um, summer basketball camps. And I think, obviously, you know, playing basketball, it was just that kind of environment that suited him. So I think he consciously or subconsciously, he picked that up. And in the next two or three years, he would, you know, spend about a month, a year, I guess, out in the States. And then he, he went on to... Uh, to junior college and college and by by then you know he he was already kind of you know speaking with a different accent so he's a sellout but I love him. <laughs> <laughs> no I'm just kidding I'm just kidding um yeah so that's that's the the, the background behind the accent and uh and yeah then we came back from from London to live uh, in Ljubljana and like I said, we're all exposed to uh, to different sports um I ended up playing soccer I um football as we call it um, I was going to say, that's here <laughs> with a British accent. You're not supposed that's to say right. soccer. Yeah, I'm not, I just, you know, it's, uh, I, have to be, uh, I have to be politically correct. So I know this, this is out in, in the States. So, yeah, yeah, was, yeah you got to dumb it down for us. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I'd say I was pretty successful, you know. I went uh, and won a couple of uh, national championships with my club. I was, uh, I was pretty good. I was uh, in the national team in, in, the, um, in the younger, you know, um, selections, so like under 17 and so forth. Okay. Um, and then I moved to, to Britain for, for university, uh, went to uh, a couple of trials for professional clubs in, up in England, and um, I was offered youth contracts, but um, not professional straight away, so my dad kind of convinced me to, um, to go down the university path, so I ended up playing semi-pro in England. And later, a bit of uh, professional football uh, back in Slovenia. Um, and, yeah, got my degree. And I'm really not sorry about that because, um, you know, after a while, I saw that, you know, professional sports are actually, you know, a little bit tougher. And it's not just from a physical standpoint, but just the, the commitment and what you have to give up is, um, is a lot, you know, you you, you basically you choose a life where you're just focusing on one thing and after after so many years of like you know just kind of focus and devoted practice so I just wanted to see a little bit uh, of the world as well um, and I guess that's at that time I decided to to try new things and uh, one thing led to another so I was always passionate about training so I tried to kind of with bigger ground the, the you know the beginnings it was all about trying to give back um trying to create a kind of a training and coaching environment, which I didn't have growing up. Um, and I think, you know, me and Luca both believed in that a great deal. We were both the kind of guys who were quite physical. Um, I'd say a bit talented, but not like hugely talented. But, you know, we got to where we were in sports based on our work ethic and, uh, you know, our constant passion to, to improve ourselves both physically and mentally. And I think that led us to, Create and we didn't know what we were creating at the time, but it was just like an outlet to to help other guys, um, other athletes, but also just general population. You know, get get better and um, find out more about you know movement practices and uh, general physical preparation and so forth. So it was more of just a passion that you were following more than a business venture. Oh yes, for starters, definitely. I mean, it. As a business venture, it didn't. It wasn't really profitable for the first couple of years. Um, my friend Giga was um, 
the other co-founder at the beginning. So he actually took basically most of the training sessions uh, while I was working on my other business, my language business, the translation company. And that was an outlet for me to um, basically educate myself, um, to grow the brand in terms of, you know, the, the knowledge we would bring to people. Uh, and slowly we started adding coaches. We started expanding in terms of space. And uh, right now we're, it's kind of, um, we're kind of at the same point that uh, Luca is maybe perhaps because of the market, the environment's a little bit different, but we, we, we think we've created an environment where we can really, you know, help people improve, be it professional athletes, be it just in general population, working moms and, and so forth. And I think um, we've come a long way, but, you know, we're still... So how old, how old were you when you guys started creating Bigger Ground over there? Uh, so that was 10 years ago or 11. So I was about 26, 27. Um, <laughs> You're so modest, so yeah. man. Like national level soccer player growing up, professional. You owned a translation company, starting a gym and training professional athletes. Like it's a lot, man. It's really, really cool. And you're just like kind of like tucking it under rug, man. You got to give yourself credit for that. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, yeah, thanks. I mean, obviously, you know, I, um, I value what I'm doing. And, uh, but I'm also, I try to be kind of humble because I know, you, you know, there's nothing you can really create on your own. So I'm really aware Absolutely. of all the people that helped me along the way. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, still helping me. So one of the biggest things that I, one of the biggest assets I think anyone can have is a great team um, and a great social circle. So, you know, the the fact that I've been doing all this traveling and, um, um, you know, being exposed to different cultures and, and so forth, it's, it's all thanks to having a great team to back me up back home. So, and that includes my other business, the translation company, as well as, uh, bigger ground in Slovenia, so you know we've got a group of uh, ten coaches, and uh, and there's also three uh, front desk staff who do a great job. And you know, without them, I couldn't do what I'm, what I'm doing today, and I wouldn't be able to talk with you here and sitting in Toronto and talking to you in Seattle. You know, um, so I'm kind of try to keep my feet on the ground, and you know, I know that this, you can't really create anything on your own. So that's perhaps why I'm being a little bit modest. Uh, Absolutely, and let's let's talk about the let's talk about the translation company a little bit because I think that I find it super interesting. Like, and that's what I love a lot about uh, traveling too. You know, one of my favorite places to go was uh, Lisbon, Portugal, and mm -hmm. and love to it. hear like Portuguese to me is like one of the most beautiful languages that that you can speak. And and I recently saw a video that you did on on Facebook where you speak fluent Portuguese. Um, and so how many languages do you speak and how did the whole translation company really come about? Well, I think I've always been pretty good with languages. So um, when I came back from, from England for, after doing my degree, uh, one of our family friends, basically, she kind of prompted me to go do the state exam for, to become like a court certified translator. And at the time, I just thought it was, a, it, it could be something cool, you know, add an adding to my skill set and um, so I went and did it and I actually became the youngest person ever ever to complete it so um, and after that I just thought I'll have that you know just you know add that on my CV but uh, it happened that so happened that uh, it, there was a great demand for 
for translation at the time. It still is. So I got into the world of translation kind of by chance, but then I saw that it's actually quite valued. I could, I could basically earn quite a good um, living and wage off uh, just off that. So I kind of used that to then fund bigger ground and all, all that came with it. So, you know, the, the early, you know, kind of certs and um, continuous education and equipment. So I kind of financed from, from that. And um, the great thing was I could just, I could literally be anywhere in the world with my laptop, you know, and I could, uh, I could get my work done in a couple of hours and then just do, you know, other fun stuff. So uh, at the time and in the beginning, uh, I actually, my, one of my, well, not one of my, but my first employee was actually Luca. (laughs) <laughs> so he he helped me out when I was uh, when I was away in the office and uh, um, so I had to have a couple of feet on the ground back home just in order to get all the admin stuff uh, out of the way so uh, yeah, that was very helpful obviously and um, so that's so yeah that's how so you so you essentially you made Luca you're putting words in my mouth but yes I made him <laughs> I made him so maybe when he if he if he thinks back, you know, he might think that was the turning point. I don't know. <laughs> no, but uh, I've got to say, I've got to admit that he he was also like um, he was always very responsible. And when I had him, I I know I knew I could trust him one hundred percent. So it, I mean, you know, it, it was great having him. And then obviously after uh, after uh, I think like after six months or so, he was doing other uh, other stuff. So. Uh, it was yeah, but you know you've always got to have someone to to help you out. So so did you have to put that business and traveling and all that stuff on pause to start the fitness movement? How did that transition go, or did you kind of no, not at all actually? Just because I had like small team to start off with, but I had like help in the form of Jigo and then other coaches. So I would do both. You know, my my life was pretty. I'm not even going to say hectic. It was just like a nice balance. You know, I would. I considered like the translation part as mental work and then the, the training and coaching part as physical work and I would just kind of balance the two. So I kind of had two jobs and um, but I didn't think it was anything, you know, tough. I kind of went from to relax. So I, you know, when I was translating, I was relaxing my body and when I was, uh, you know, training people, I was relaxing my mind. So that kind of worked hand in hand and uh, it right. worked pretty well because, uh, you know, I can make a pretty good living off it. So I was able to travel a lot. And like I said, you know, the first five years, maybe I traveled a lot. And every time I did travel, it was usually, yeah, you know, to expose myself to see a new part of the world. But then also I, I would seek, um, you know, fitness professionals or different seminars and workshops wherever I'd go. And I'd try to combine that with, uh, with my travel and trips, you know. So I'd basically go and listen to um, some speaker at a conference or basically take part in a seminar or workshop and, and bring back uh, – what I learned uh, to the gym and then try to grow the, the business from there. So what, I mean, what caused the drive to want to travel so much? I mean, was there, would you think it was growing up and being friends with so many different diverse individuals moving as a kid? Like, was there a certain point in your life where you're like, this is what I want to do. I want to see the world. I want to do this. So on and so forth. Yeah. I think it was just like um, trying to, understand people you know because uh you come to a new country and you know some people just they think differently from you right so something that maybe 
second nature to you might not be second nature to them. And I was always fascinated why that is. You know, when we talk about culture and environment, you know, so what is that? And what I wanted to find out, um, what are the, you know, what are the drives, what are the values behind uh, these different mindsets? And obviously it's down to personal traits, but, you know, environment and culture shape us uh, to such an extent that um, I was always fascinated by that. And then, you know, with added, the added element of language, I, I found that it was, there was a whole different communication platform when you spoke someone's language. You could um, not just communicate, because we are, you know, I always had English to fall back on, but I found that as soon as I was able to speak someone's uh, local language, you know, they were, they were far more ready to embrace me as part of, you know, their social circle. They were able to, to share more personal experiences with me um and i think they also really really um valued the fact that i took the time and effort to uh, to learn their language so i was you know more accepted i became part of their family much quicker than i would have done otherwise you know um so yeah it was just that and um i'm just thinking back a couple of weeks i i read an article in the financial times uh by this uh columnist i think his name is Janash Ganesh, something like that. He's a contributor to the FT. And, and he was actually saying that travel actually, he was actually quoting the other thing. He, he said that travel does not make us any more like, you know, enlightened or anything uh, like that, that it's just fun. And he had a, he had a decent argument, but I thought, you know, based on my experiences, um, I felt compelled to, to write him and just tell him, you know, I've had a completely different experience because Especially when it depends, obviously, on the type of travel. But I always traveled alone, more or less. So I was just there were so many um, moments where I kind of, you know, had to make important, critical decisions when I was traveling in order to, um, you know, just keep moving to to find the right place to stay to to get out of harm's way and so to speak. So um, I think traveling just it will pose different challenges to you. So you've got to, uh, there's always moments where you've got to kind of solve complex challenges. And uh, I think that's, you know, kind of helped me grow besides obviously um, uh, meeting new people and, you know, being exposed to new, new experiences. Right. Do you so feel- uh, for, for me, uh, you know, I, I think that traveling and going to certain places, I've I've learned, and I've I've kind of been able to keep an, an open mind, or uh, and, and and really see how you know other people live, and and look at life from a different perspective. So I've I've definitely learned valuable lessons, and I think that becoming aware, or and really just having that open mind, really allows you to to learn from those experiences. And I think that that's what. Um, you know, kind of what you're talking about in that last little bit where you've had a different experience with traveling than what, than what that guy had written. What's your top three or, you know, big lessons that you've learned from, it doesn't even have to be three. What are, what are just some big lessons that you learned from, from traveling? That's a tough one because there's so many, but uh, I'd say, you know, you, you, when you're meeting anyone new, you always got to have an open heart. You know, um, you never know where they've come from, what they've experienced. Um, 
how hard it was for them to, to get to where they are today. Um, so just kind of being an open book when it comes to meeting new people, you know, just try try. Obviously, you know, we're programmed to have um, prejudice, you know, um, yeah. but just to try to be uh, as open as you can when meeting new people, you know, just trying to uh, basically just be a sponge, you know. Um, and I mean, I'll quote just one one experience I had from from when I was traveling in the Middle East. We were in Syria, which obviously many of you know today is not the same country it was uh, just a few years ago. They right. basically you know bombed the hell war out. torn. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was there in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, I think. And um, I think just one one moment, one experience just stayed with me and probably will stay with me forever. We were, we rented a car, which is a challenge in itself. And we drove out to, to the desert more or less to, to find this, this fort, which was like an, a historical monument. And we wanted to see it for some reason. Um, and we got lost and we came into this village and, uh, all we had was basically a map, which we couldn't really read. And, um, so this guy comes up to us and he's like, you know, checking our map and trying to communicate with us. Obviously I didn't, I just spoke a couple of words of, um, of Arabic. So, you know, kind of try to communicate with him and he understood what we what we were trying to do, where we we're trying to get to. So he took us there, um, showed us around, you know, he was basically our tour guide. We didn't understand the word he was saying, but <laughs> he showed us around the place and then, uh, we drove him back to his village and, you know, we were like trying to say goodbye, but he wasn't really having any of it. He was like, you know, gesticulating, you know, gesturing, coming to my house. And we were like, okay. Um, <laughs> so, we, so we went inside in his house and we met his, I don't know, 10 children or whatever. He had a huge family. And, um, and then he told us to sit down. And um, my, my friends, the two girls I was with, were like a little bit apprehensive. You know, um, we're not sure. But he was like, just have a seat. So we sat down and the guy basically brought every piece of food he had in his house and laid it out on the floor for us. And just, he was like, please, you know, have this meal with us. He wow. Just to, he just wanted to share everything he had. Right. Um, at that point I was just like, you know, wow, you know, this is, this is really impressive. And, um, yeah, that's stayed with me up to today and just made me think about, um, you know, the stuff that we own and how, um, you know, tied up we are with, uh, with the material, you know, Absolutely, stuff yeah. we have. And um, I guess just from there, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I became more open in terms of like sharing, not just obviously stuff, but, you know, experiences and things that I have. And in the fitness industry, I think there's so much, uh, so much, stuff that gets thrown around and people are very secretive about uh, a lot of their methods and, um, and systems and all that kind of stuff. And I try to be pretty transparent uh, with regards to that because uh, let's face it, you know, we, I'm pretty sure none of us invented uh, any of the exercises and exercise yeah. protocols we use today. Right. Um, and I think the place the world would be a better place if we just, you know, shared more and that goes for, material belongings as well as you know experience and the knowledge uh, that we have about everything really
That's crazy, man. I got to be honest. I didn't think that's where the story was going to go. <laughs> I was getting kind of freaked out. Like, why is this guy taking you into his home? But that's that makes you yeah. think. And, and it kind of made me think, too, is like one of the reasons why that journalist or the guy writing that article might have said what he said is because he's not as open as you are to experiencing things, right? I think one of the biggest reasons why you probably love it. Uh, traveling and going through all these things because you're open to trying new things, meeting new people, um, dwelling into people's culture. And that guy might have been a stickler who didn't want to dive into any of it. Yeah. I mean, I've got to give him credit. He's a great writer, actually. But I think he was just picking up on some point um, and going against the grain and, you know, just putting out a different viewpoint, uh, which, like I said, you know, I could uh, actually relate to some of the stuff he was saying because obviously if you're going, if you're looking at, People just taking, you know, long weekends away, you know, weekend trips in Europe where it's really easy to to travel. Yeah, you know, you're not, you're not going to grow as a person. Like if you go like to some place for a weekend and just, in, you know, sit back and enjoy yourself. But what I'm talking about is uh, something different, right? You know, you're going somewhere, going off the beaten path. You know, you're, you're really trying to immerse yourself in the culture. You're, you're seeking out people who, um, who are just you know, part of the local environment and trying to engage with them on a different level. So, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I think he, he might have had a point to an extent, but then again, you know, it's all, it's all about perspective. So absolutely. Uh, that's, this is mine. Do you so, go ahead, Cody? I was just going to say, do you, what do you feel like when you get home? Like, I mean, you travel so frequently is, is it almost like kind of like hitting a refresh button? Is that like one of the purposes behind it where you get home and you can go into like ultra drive and you can really crush work and you feel great? Um, or is it is it kind of like you're almost a nomad where you're constantly going and work doesn't really stop? Well, it's, there's a bit of both. Uh, and, you know, on the one hand, I, I travel a lot. You know, that's people kind of know me as this uh, constant traveler and traffic traveler. But um I actually love being back home because I love uh, routines. I love mm, certain places where I can sit down with my friends. And I think um, a big part of like, you know, the difference between Europe and the States to, to a large extent is this, um, are these rituals that we attend to. So, you know, I, I can't, I couldn't ask for anything more than sitting down with my friends for coffee, sharing stuff that I've, you know, experienced on the road or, uh, or somewhere else, or just you know, um, having a discussion or debate about just life in general. So, um, and you know, I, I have a great job. I've got to say, you know, I, I work with um, young athletes and professional athletes, and um, you know, I don't take that for granted. Um, I try to pass on, you know, not just the physical preparation part of things onto them, but also just trying to make them better people. And, um, you know, I can't really do that when I'm on the road. So I kind of, when I get back, it's like you said, it's kind of a refresh button. I, I've got all these new ideas. So I'm trying to implement some of the stuff I've, I've learned on the road. Uh, and that includes from a communications uh, perspective. It doesn't have to be like new methods of training or, or whatever, but it could be just like sort of something really subtle that I've, you know, picked up a, on the road on on my travels, uh, maybe from one of my friends, someone new that I've met, um, so to speak. So, you know, I've I've met some people who travel full time, and I have to say that it would, I think it'd be kind of hard because 
you know, we, we still, as, a, as humans, I think we strive for certain... Um, comfort, right? And, yeah, I wouldn't say comfort, maybe, but just some consistency in our lives. You know, right, so, right. like I said, some uh, some uh, rituals, some habits that we have, uh, with, which are kind of difficult to maintain when you're on the road. Like one of the people who I really respect and is a full-time traveler, Steve Maxwell, I've learned a lot from him. Um, it seems to me, you know, like keeping that type of routine up is really, really hard. Even though, like from from someone from the outside looking in, it might seem really cool, but it's actually a lot of work having to change environments uh, all the time, um, having to adapt all the time. So I think there's a lot of value to having like a home base and uh, and having um, some consistency, especially when we're talking about work, right? Because we know that, you know, if, if you're not consistent and focused uh, on something, it's going to be very hard to develop a high level of mastery, um, right. something. So, you know, I still love to go back and, uh, you know, my day-to-day is filled with uh, coaching. So I'll, I'll do like three to four sessions a day with my, with my athletes and um, that's some of the, you know, most important parts of my day really so um, and it's that switching between you know being focused on the one hand when you're back home and kind of being like a sponge and an open open book when you're traveling and yeah. I guess um, having that mindset and that ability to switch between one and the other is uh, what makes the experience that that much better at the end of the day I guess. And you were you were recently just in uh, Brazil, correct? And yeah, that's uh, right. You're you're working on a documentary. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to actually. It's um, so this is something that came out of uh, me just questioning myself. You know, is there something that I can create? And obviously, I've been able to create a couple of businesses which are pretty successful on their own. But just create something that would kind of personify me as a person and uh, help me use my skill set to the best of uh, my ability. So I was thinking, all right, so I love traveling. uh, I love movement. uh, I love different cultures. Uh, So I came up with a a project that um, is going to um, basically focus on different movement cultures around the world and trying to – so – probably important to point out the why behind that. So I think it's really, obviously, you know, we all know how important movement is and why. Um, but um, I found that, uh, you know, different people have different access to, to movement, right? So we were in Brazil, in Rio, and um, we kind of try to show, so how social status uh, also impacts the access people have to to movement. So just imagine like, you know, you'd, in where you guys work in bigger ground in Seattle, Renton, um, you know, some, some people might not be able to afford training in your gym, right? Right. Um, so I think it's really important to, to get and help people get access to the best quality movement that, uh, they can get so we went into the favelas uh, in Rio and we went to some of the top boxing gyms and jiu-jitsu uh, academies and, uh, over there and talked to some of the founders and the top uh, coaches over there uh, about you know what 
that type of movement means to them and their students. Um, you know, maybe what would happen if they weren't there, uh, how they got started, and uh, um, that really fascinated me. So, uh, on the one hand, social status, then culture, then environment. So, obviously, Rio de Janeiro is one of the places where you really want to be if if you want to, you know, try different sports and different types of movement because they've got they've got everything. Right, they've got the beach. You you, you can surf. You can play foot, foot volley. You can do jujitsu. You can do almost anything. Right. Um, but then again, you know, the people who live there don't really have access to, to all those types of movements. So I wanted to just bring that up and, um, um, there's going to be a social project behind it. So hopefully we'll be able to raise, uh, some money with, uh, with the documentary and it's going to be a series of doc- documentaries and we're going to try to help, you know, underprivileged kids in, in those areas have access to, um, to training and different forms of movement and also, wow. Not forgetting uh, the local impact, we're going to start um, a um, a program for underprivileged kids in, back in Slovenia, where we're going to have starting out with two sessions a week, where we're going to offer free training to underprivileged kids, so they can kind of you know experience what we do um, without having you know to to basically pay um, the money that they don't have really, you know. So um, so that's that was kind of the motivation behind it, and uh, I'm I'm planning to visit four more areas around the world to see how you know these cultures and environments um, create different forms of movement. So um, the next one's supposed to be Iran, and then uh, Africa, Senegal, and Ethiopia, and then um, New Zealand, and probably Japan. I'm really not sure about it yet because uh, it's self-financed, so. <laughs> want to come up with the money (laughs) (laughs) i'll be able to to get going on the next uh leg but yeah i mean it's something that i'm pretty passionate about so uh, um so i'm really happy that we we got the first one out of the way and um people who haven't experienced working with uh documentaries may not notice but there's a lot of work behind the scenes and especially like once you're actually done filming some of the most uh hard work starts so i've been kind of uh, having to review the audio and um, provide feedback on stuff like, you know, background music, stuff that I'm not really an expert right. in. So I'm, I'm really grateful that I've had a, you know, very, very competent team of people uh, helping me out. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to launch in, in um, a week or two. And uh, um, it's probably not going to be Hollywood material, but I think it's going to be, uh, you know, it's it's strong enough. Across. Yeah, to get the message across, and you can't really ask for more than that. Um, right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's about it. Man, that's that's actually more intense than I thought. Why? How come Iran? How come Iraq? Like, is there specific types of movement that you've studied and looked into in those places, or did you did you guys just pick like random out of ten? How did that work? Right. So um, yeah, it's it's actually Iran, uh, and we're so why did I pick that? Because I think culture has a lot to do with movement right that's the whole point behind the movement culture so um i don't know if you guys have been to any of the muslim countries but if when you when you when you're there you can see um huge difference in that uh, you don't see people um training or doing much out on the street it's all very um clandestine so that it's uh it all goes on 
behind closed doors, more or less, uh, mostly because of the faith and some of the beliefs that they hold. Yeah. And I think it's something that we have to respect. And uh, but on the other hand, uh, they are re- they have some of the best athletes in certain sports, right? So uh, if you follow the Olympics, the uh, most of the weightlifting is usually won by someone from from the Middle East or some of the former Soviet um, states, right? Um, um, I'm not an expert, but I'm pretty sure the Iranian uh, weightlifting champion actually holds the world record for the snatch. Um, I would have to uh, double check that. But um, so we're we're looking at going into the Olympic weightlifting centers to see how they train. Okay. Um, talk to talk to them about you know their experience, how they started out in sport because it's probably a lot different to mine. Uh, I'm not sure how to what extent they're able to choose their sport, you know. Uh, and again, this is something that I don't know much about right now. I I can only talk about the experiences I've had in the in the Middle East and um, from what I've seen. And then there's some forms of ancient yoga uh, using club bells that uh, is. Um, done in Iran, I really, I'd really like to try that. And then finally, and probably the most important aspect of uh, the movement culture in Iran is the, is the, um, is the gender aspect. So how, how much access uh, women have to different types of movement and training, because obviously uh, you can't go into a, a gym there and you don't see women and men training together. So um, I'd like to get um, uh, first-hand account from from uh, maybe an Olympic athlete, Olympic female athlete from there to, to talk about um, you know how they cope with uh, with that type of access to to movement and you know how they're able to uh, to still maintain world-class or elite yeah, level performance at a high level. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, because uh, you know it's. I mean, we we. We look at it differently, but you know, I'm guessing they have the same kind of motive, motives behind uh, athletic performance as we do. So, but it's it would be really interesting to see that uh, and hear that story from them, you know. So, um, but which means I'm going to have to definitely uh, take a couple of girls with me because I'm not going to be allowed to, <laughs> to yeah. go in there and, and shoot the footage myself. So, um, yeah, so I'm looking for really looking forward to that. And uh, thankfully, we've already got some really good contacts down there uh, on the ground. So I'm looking to do that at some point this year, September, October. Man, I cannot wait to see this. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully every every kind of uh, series will be better than the last one because we'll have experience in, you know, um, just More doing... understanding how to put it together. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty... Uh, pretty excited about that and uh, yeah so hopefully be able to to engage as many people as possible and um, you know maybe open their their horizons a little bit <laughs> man I love it so let's let's go back to to you in, in the traveling aspect how many countries have you been to uh, alright so I don't know exactly but I think I'm up to about 52 53 um, <laughs> shit so yeah just quite a bit um, I I sat down once uh, when I when I was a bit bored and I think it was in Colombia and I just started writing all the countries that I've been to. Um, but I mean, I, you know, it's for me quality is far 
more important than uh, quantity. So that's why I tend to go back to some of the countries where I feel, you know, I, you know, I felt a different kind of energy or I felt just really uh, close to. So that's perhaps why I've been to Brazil so many times. I think this year was the 10th time I've been there. Um, and yeah, and once I think once you know the language and you know the culture and the, and the people there, it just you know some it just makes you want to want to go there more often, I guess. Right. Um, and also one of the reason may, reasons maybe motives behind going to these places over and over again is um, you know the language part is is not you know you can't take it for granted. So if you don't work on uh, on the language, so if you don't use it day to day it's kind of difficult to maintain a level of competency. So I kind of try to consciously go to certain countries or at least countries where they speak uh, the languages uh, that I speak uh, just to, in order to maintain the proficiency, I guess, because uh, you, you, you can learn a language quite quickly, but then you can kind of uh, lose a lot of that pretty quickly as well if you don't maintain it, just just like, you know, muscles <laughs> and training. Um I guess is a good analogy. So, um, so, so when you when you when you learn a uh, when you learn a, a new language, do you do you try to speak it as much as possible, or do you go to let's say let's say Brazil and you know do you just go there and just speak Portuguese for a, a certain amount of time? Because I imagine you're going there for if you're going going ten times, you're probably going for a good amount of time. Yeah. So. Um, when I started going, it was like I would spend a month there, like, you know, four weeks or something like that. And now that's obviously with time that went down a little bit. So now I, I usually go over for a couple of weeks. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm really, even if someone wants to speak English to me over there, I'm kind of like, I really don't want to because, um, yeah, you know, I want to improve my, and you know, work on my Portuguese. And like I said, there's also a different it's a different form and different level of communication when you speak in someone's uh, home language. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty strong on that. And then um, when I'm there, I also try to read, you know, local papers, local, local books, and stuff like that. Just try to kind of, you know, suck everything out from the experience, and in in order to maintain uh, the level of proficiency in, in the language, I guess. That's yeah, and. Uh, Thankfully, back home, I've got, uh, um, I'm into jiu-jitsu. I've been uh, training for the last, like, two and a half, it's coming up to three years now. And thankfully, uh, my coach, Carlos, is, uh, is a Brazilian himself, so I get the chance to speak Portuguese to him a couple of times a week. That, that helps a lot, just with the, you know, uh, maintaining, uh, maintaining that level. All right. So you, could you, out of all those countries, could you pick a top three? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, I could probably, yeah, pick loads. But I mean, if I had to pick top three, then Brazil's definitely up there because I've been so many times. Just the energy of the people, the the positivity I I feel when I when I come there, um, the warmth that I've uh, been exposed to and treated to every time I've been there, the hospitality, um, and just you know, its environment also is just an amazing country to be in. Um, that would be definitely up there. And then um, I'd say New Zealand because it reminds me of home. Um, also, the natural environment there is fascinating. Uh, people are very laid back, very liberal. Um, 
it's on the other part of the world, side of the world, so uh, it takes some uh, getting to there. But yeah, I think I enjoy that a lot and really want to go back at some point. And then um, the third one, actually, uh, it would be tough, but I think it has to be uh, Syria just because of the um, you know the story that I told you guys a little bit right. earlier, and um, just you know when I went there, I really didn't know what to expect but then you know I had a couple of these experiences and I was like wow you know I didn't I don't really know much about this part of the world but you know these these people are are really very very friendly uh and definitely not what you know most of the media would have you believe so I think um just based on my experiences in that part of the world I would say Syria yeah. do you have a, a next one on the list where are you going next Home, <laughs> so, yeah, going home in a couple of days. Um, but no, I mean, I'm, uh, so the next, I mean, the next new one is probably going to be Iran, yeah, in September, October. Before that, there's going to be some travel um, throughout Europe, I guess. Um, I've got a, uh, I've got a basketball camp coming up in July where I'm going to help out with the strength and conditioning for uh, for some French players, and then. Um, yeah, I'm not sure yet. Usually during the European summer, I tend to go north rather than south. So pick out the like, colder countries, Scotland, uh, Iceland, <laughs> Scandinavia, places like that. So that might be on, on the list. It's cool um, too because I feel like you're in Europe, you have the opportunity to take a train and go places a lot easier um, without having to fly all the time, right? So you could probably oh, spend yeah. the whole summer going. Oh, everywhere. tell me about it. Uh, so I was just talking to... Uh, I've just been in Montana, uh, see my friend Nate up there in Rochelle. And um, so before I got there, I was like asking him, you know, can I take a train out there or can I take a train out of there, you know, to, to get to a hub to fly, to fly to Toronto? And they were like, well, not really. And then I was checking. <laughs> and then I was checking. And um, it, if I wanted to take the train, uh, I would have to – drive for three hours to get to Whitefish to get on the train and then drive, uh, take the train for 26 hours to get to St. Paul in uh, Minnesota, some Minnesota, place yeah, like, yeah to, to, to take the flight up to Toronto. So I was like, well, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Uh, and in Europe, you know, you can get it on a, one of these um, fast rail links and you can be, I don't know, from – London to Paris in a couple of hours or Brussels in a couple of hours. And, um, yeah, it just feels everything's really far more accessible, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Nate, um, uh, so yeah, Nate just, is a, he's a pretty big travel guy too. Is he stationed in Montana now or is he, is he still moving around? Uh, well, I think they're open to travel, obviously him and Rochelle, but I think right now they're, um, they're based in Missoula in Montana, which is actually a really nice place. I really loved it. Uh, it also reminded me of home. Um, also kind of, I don't know, just also gave me a, a little bit to think about, you know, what exactly are you seeking in life? You know, is it, is it, you know, big cities and, you know, could, do you, are you, do you feel comfortable about commuting to and from work? Uh, do you feel comfortable with so many people around you all the time or, are you more comfortable somewhere, you know, in a smaller setting, closer to nature and natural environment, somewhere where you just kind of feel more comfortable, you know? So um, I think they found that at the moment. But 
I could, you know, obviously I'm, I'm talking, uh, I don't want to talk on his behalf, so um, right. I just think, yeah, it's probably a place where he can unleash his creativity and get more work done. I do guess. you find, right. like, do you ever think about settling down yourself? Like, I feel like it's got to be hard going so many different places to consider stopping and, and actually kind of grounding yourself, or do you feel like you'll go back home for that? Well, that's the thing, you know, I go back home uh, for the grounding part, Um, you know, even, I don't know, people who don't know me might think, you know, I'm on the road all the time, but um, obviously I spend more time at home than I do traveling, so, you know, most of my time is spent back home, Um, and yeah, in terms of like settling down, it's a difficult one, because... (laughs) um, just with the lifestyle that I have, I think, you know, I'm settled right now, if if, if that means anything, and right. you know, what does settling down really mean, does it mean having a family, does it mean, you know, owning a house, does it mean, you know, um, owning a business somewhere, uh, I try to think of myself as, yeah, kind of having a home base, but, you know, not being, not being too, not being forced to be there all the time, um, I, I'd say. Which is kind of cool, but then again, you know, it's also good to have a, a, a place to call home. Right. So, what do you think? What do you think is uh, like? We already asked you what your biggest lesson is, and that one's kind of hard. But how has it shaped you into who you are today? Like, what is the biggest difference you see in yourself personally, from a business perspective, all that from from the experiences you've seen traveling? Because I, I got to imagine things like what you explained to us, the story you told us, have got to change you a little bit. Oh, for sure. Um, well, I think one of the things is uh, every time I meet someone new and, uh, and you know, I want to kind of relate that to the stuff that I do in the gym and, uh, and the training is, you know, I'll see kids from all walks of life. You know, they most of them are trying to make as professional athletes. And, you know, I try to step back before I make uh, a judgment on them, you know, give them just give them a chance, if you know what I mean, to express themselves, you know, not try to, um, to kind of, you know, relay my experiences and uh, my beliefs onto them, you know, you should be doing this and you should be thinking in a certain way, uh, just trying to allow them to express themselves. Um, and I think that comes from, uh, from having traveled so much, you know, because, you know, the, the, the people who I call friends now, you know, they were the ones who, just step back and, you know, kind of just let me express myself. Um, and I think it's really important for me to do that with the people I work. So be it colleagues or, or the people I train. Uh, and I think that's the most important. And, and, you know, obviously then when I, when I have a certain amount of input and, uh, and I see the character traits, um, obviously in addition to the movement capacities, then I can, you know, it allows me to, to guide uh, them more easily to to where they want to be at, if uh, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Man, if you, uh, I mean, we covered a lot already. Theo, if you don't have anything else you want to fire at them, we can go ahead with the personality question. Yeah, go ahead, shoot it. I'm interested to hear this one. So we always like to do a personality question at the end of these calls, and, and the one we got for you is, it's it's not as long of a trip for you, but... 
Actually, let's use New Zealand since you love it over there. You're flying to New Zealand. You're in the middle seat and you got two seats next to you. You can pick anybody you want to fly on that flight with you, dead or alive, but they cannot be friends or family. Who's sitting next to you? Hmm. Hmm. Man, I think I'll give the window seat to Barack Obama because uh, someone who I really respect. Tough. <laughs> <laughs> this guy completely cut out. Did he? I'll tell you there. He dropped the mic, bro. <laughs> oh, yeah. He said Barack oh, yeah. and he was out. Barack. I guess that's his answer, guys. (laughs) He dropped the mic after that one. That's hilarious. He's only sitting next to Barack Obama. (laughs) I'm sure he would have said me. Highly doubt. Nah, me and Matei get along, man. Has your your answer changed? Uh, While I get him back on this call? Man, honestly, I haven't even thought about it. I've been, it, it's kind of interesting that he talked about, you know, like the, when you travel to certain places, it's kind of like you, if you're really looking for it, right, like you might be trying to find yourself at some point. And, and, you know, he talked about his experience with Montana. Montana is actually like when I went before I was just kind of like, shit, like, you know, like yeah. why, why the fuck would I go to Montana? And I went really just to kind of meet Seth's family and, and extended family and stuff like that. And then, I like, when I got there, I was like, man, this place is fucking amazing. And now I'm living out damn near in the fucking mountains, you know, and it's, and it's like, I'm, I like to experience more, like, solitude and, and, you know, the ability to kind of get away and just, like, you know, it, it, it's quiet. You know, I, I don't really enjoy, like, the noise and I don't really have the urge to go to big cities and and really you know do a bunch of different shit like you know at this point like I'm really just like trying to chill out and uh you know I find myself getting more creative in that in that setting so I thought it was like super interesting that he said that uh because personally I've I've experienced that and it's been pretty recent um but as far as yeah man as as far as my answers I, I honestly no, I don't know. It's such a it's such a tough question. Yeah. And honestly, I don't I don't even remember the answer that I gave before. I, th- I think Genghis Khan was in there. <laughs> <laughs> I think you said Barack Obama too, didn't you? Or was that at your dinner table? I think I was at my dinner table or something. No, I I agree though, and I think like I always imagine myself leaving Seattle, and then every time I do. I completely changed my mind. So in the same way, like, it's almost like the same thing you said, but opposite, right? Like, I come back and I'm glad I'm here. I'm grateful and I'm appreciative. And I'm kind of like, I'm more comfortable saying, like, I don't need to get out of here anymore. You know what I mean? Right. And, you know, you you find out, too, that, again, it's going back to the whole kind of, like, finding yourself thing. Like, I realized that the reason that I, you know, I, I had the urge to move to 
a different city, uh, you know, Miami or San Diego, for example, is because it was more of like, okay, I just need to change things up. This is getting kind of like old, stale, and you know, you you experience, you have a great experience in in a certain location, and you think that it might last forever. When you know, in reality, I realize now that there's no way that I would be happy uh, in those places because, and there's a reason that it didn't it didn't work out that way. Like I, I am where I am because you know this is where I'm supposed to be in this moment. So, um, you know, just learning to appreciate that, uh, you know, makes a world of difference. And I think that now it's like, you know, I, I definitely think that Seattle um, or the, gre- the greater Seattle area will always be home. And it's always where, you know, I'll lay my head, but at the same time, you know, getting out and experiencing different cultures. And that's why I'm so fascinated by what Matei's doing with the documentary, because it's like, man, like, that's a great opportunity to, to hear from, you know, obviously, you know, somebody else's perspective, but, um, you know, to experience that, man, I can only imagine. Yeah. I think, I think traveling like that, like what you're saying is more of like a pattern interrupt. You know what I mean? Right. Hey guys, I'm back. There he is. Dude, we we (laughs) thought you just like said Barack Obama and then did a mic drop and then maybe emailed him and say, Hey, let's get on a flight to New Zealand. (laughs) So I thought you were just—I thought you were just putting things into play. He's out again, bro. <laughs> uh, not again. It's like, yeah, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> Too funny. There he is. Yeah, I'm dropping out now. All right, man. So, okay. so real quick before we before we tap this out for good, what? Who is? Uh, who's the other seat? Who's in the aisle seat next to you? All right. So the aisle seat. Um, hmm. I don't know why I'm getting cut out, guys, so hopefully this will work. All right, so let's just pick up uh, right where we left off. So you got uh, Barack Obama in the window. See who's sitting next to you in the aisle. Probably be a writer. uh, Someone like Ernest Hemingway, for instance, just because uh, I'd just love to pick the brain of someone who was so creative and – was able to put that much, that much onto paper, you know. Um, so I could I could go on and list like about ten more people, but who's the, who's that? Uh, who, who what does he write? Because I'm unfamiliar with him. Like that name sounds super familiar, but for me and all the listeners, what is uh, Ernest Hemingway's uh, fiction or nonfiction? Oh, he wrote Farewell to Arms. Uh, basically, nonfiction. I mean. Okay. Well, by all accounts, he was at the first at the front line of the fir- in the First World War. Though that's being uh, being challenged a little bit, but uh, he was a great writer who um, who I really look up to. He was a special guy, you know. He was uh, pretty much into his drink, but uh, <laughs> some of the yeah, that's kind of reflected in the work. So uh, he was a, he was a great mind. So definitely someone I'd like to pick. Uh, whose brain I'd like to pick. Okay, well, so, so let's do this. If you have that many more, this is what we used to do. You're at a dinner table. You have four guests. <laughs> Same question. You get two more. <laughs> two more. Who, who are they? I'll let you All expand. Right. Yeah, so probably like uh, uh, Nelson Mandela's uh, a figure I had uh, loads of respect and, and admiration for. Uh, definitely someone I'd, I'd sit down with. Great answer. Um, for instance, um, and I'm sure the fourth person would be a woman. Um, and um, 
trying to think. It would be, uh, it'd be, be kind of t- tough to pick, but um, I'm trying to think. But probably someone who who just went through a lot of struggles, um, perhaps in the early part of the 20th century, uh, when women were still trying to gain like voting rights and such. Um, right. I'm, I'm struggling to, to pick out just one person, but it would have to be someone like uh, like that who was uh, at the front, you know, of the women's rights uh, movement, trying to trying to get basically equal rights and uh, some that they're still working towards until this very day. So definitely would be a, an interesting dinner <laughs> with all mm-hmm. those different people and the conversations that would happen because of all them together as well. Um, yeah. So that I mean that that does it for the podcast. What uh, what is on the plate next for you, man? Like uh, besides this documentary, is that your main focus right now? Finishing that, or do you have um, anything else in the works? Well, yeah, I mean that's actually like a, a side project. It's definitely something that I'm mostly looking forward to, more or less. But um, I'm just uh, really excited to get back home and uh, continue in working with my athletes. A lot of the players have preseason now, so that's actually like my uh, busiest time of year right now and then obviously during the winter when they have their winter break right uh, so I'm really f- looking forward to that um, and I'm one of these people who doesn't tend to look too far forward in the future so I'm just focusing on on trying to be you know very present so it's just at this moment in time what am I doing what am I focusing on and uh, so yeah that'll be in a couple of t- days time that'll be my focus uh, try to give everything to uh, to the guys who I train, and then um, hopefully in July we're going to start a, a program for 12 to 14 year olds uh, soccer players, uh, and uh, that'll be really exciting because uh, it's it's an age group I haven't worked with much yet. So most of the guys who come in are like 14, 15, and older. So it'd right. be it'd be nice to get exposed to that. Yeah, definitely a good stage to mold them as well. For mm-hmm. sure. For sure. Awesome, man. Well, I mean, do you have any? Do you have a blog, or do you have anything I can point the people to as far as social media uh, or anything like well, that? Well, yes, yes, I do. Uh, I'm pretty bad at maintaining it. So, if you guys are patient and wait for a couple of days, maybe a week or so, there'd definitely be more on that. So, the blog is entrepreneurialnomads.com, um, and I try to put stuff on there, but uh, I've been pretty slack lately. So, like I said, give me a couple of days, and I should be back to my creative ways on there um as far as social media goes uh, i i am on all or most of the social media platforms although i'm mostly active right now on instagram so if you follow me it's uh hocho dervish a h-o-c-h-o-d-e-r-b-i-s-h um and if you type in my name i'm pretty sure uh, you'll be able to find me right um, not that active on Facebook right now, but um, yeah, um, my email, if anyone wants to email me, is matej, M-A-T-E-J, at vigor.org, uh, V-I-G-O-R.org. Uh, so um, yeah, happy to share anything that I talked about and um, anything else for that matter. So um, by all means, drop me a line. Perfect, man. Thank you so much for jumping on. We appreciate it, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you again whenever you're back in the States. Oh, thanks very much, Cody. I appreciate all that you guys are doing. And uh, again, thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to, uh, to voice my experiences, man. If you love the Mind vs. Muscle podcast, want more free content, and you want to support the movement, share this podcast and leave us a five-star rating and review. To get your questions answered on the next episode, see the show notes for our social media handles and hashtag Mind vs. Muscle.